What do we do? To what do we give our attention? To whom do we give our attention? And what's the result? And how long does this result last? Why do we do what we do listening to who we do? (laughs) In a 2009 Forrester study of average adult media use, it was discovered that that group watched 13 hours per week of TV. 13 hours a week. And I know, I only watch the news. (laughs) Well, the percentage of local TV news broadcast time devoted to advertising, 30. That's right, a third of the time of local news is actually advertising. (laughs) Maybe worse, the percentage devoted to stories about crime, disaster, and war, 53.8, more than half. Oh, this is great. That which was devoted to public service announcements, 0.7, not even 1%. <laughs> they don't do much that way. The same study found that 12 hours per week was spent perusing the Internet, three hours per week reading newspapers, two hours per week scanning magazines. So what is that in hours per year? Inquiring minds want to know. So TV, 676 hours a year. Internet, 624. Paper, 156. Magazines, 104. Total, 1,560 hours of media use per year for adult America. Do you know what a full-time work week in hours is? I mean, if you think about it, 40 hours a week, 50 weeks, 2,000 hours? Only one quarter less giving attention to various media outlets than working. That was in 2009. Let's jump to 2017. I was surprised they had data for this year already. This is per day in minutes. TV, 238. Mobile, not voice, not talking, but using it for Internet, 197 minutes. Online, 123, like at a desktop with your notebook. Radio, 86 minutes. Other connected devices, whatever they are, 33 minutes. And print, only 24 minutes. And all other media, again, don't know what that is, 21 minutes. To help you out here, the average American is being influenced by or is paying attention to 722 minutes per day of media. That's 12 hours per day paying attention to what? 4,392 hours every year listening to what? To whom? To whom are they paying attention? Sad note about the internet and TV or anything else nowadays. You don't have to know anything to put it up as if it's a fact. You don't need any education. You don't need experience. You can call yourself an expert. It doesn't matter. So why do people pay attention to this? And in a and trust me, it's related, a related area, how many hours would it take to read the Bible? According to an online poster named Matt, 75 hours, which he calculated to be 12.5 minutes per day. That's all. Wow, you know, anybody could do that, right? You'd think so. But in the extensive web page he created about reading the Bible, 
He admits that he did not time himself. He got this figure off an advertisement for CDs with a dramatic reading of the Bible. In fact, he says he has never read the entire Bible himself. <laughs> Wrote a big web page about it. Never actually done it. So I told you, you don't have to be an expert to mouth off on the internet. Danny, he states he has read the Bible dozens of times, says he decided to time himself reading the Holman Christian Standard Bible. 39 hours. The Old Testament took him 30, New Testament 9. This is 140th the average adult media use of 2009. If the mythical average person took the same amount of time they currently use to focus on media, they could read the Bible through more than 112 times per year, in a single year. 112 times using the amount of time they study. But is the average American ready to listen to what God's Word has to say? (laughs) Well, the people in Samaria some 1900 years ago were ready to listen. But who would they hear? Now those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, pay attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time, He had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. There are six areas which I think we can learn from this. Simon the magician's relationship to the people. Philip's relationship with the people. Simon's response to Philip's work. Simon's response to the apostles' work, Simon's nature, and Philip's nature. So let's start with Simon the magician's relationship to the people. He wowed them with magic. He gave them his message. He, Simon, was somebody great. (laughs) Why did they pay attention to Simon? Well, because he was doing something amazing. And they were looking. 
They wanted something more than what they had. Well, that's good news, right? As Christians hoping to spread the good news about Jesus, we need to remember that when people are willing to accept blatant counterfeits, they may be ready for the real thing. Why do you think Mormonism, which certainly is the least logical of all the world's religions, it's, it's amazing, why do you think it's doing so well? Why would Americans choose or chase Buddhism, Hinduism, and the other Eastern religions? Even naturalism, bereft of facts as it is, sways many, many millions. Now note that those Samaritans did get something out of Simon's magic. They were amazed by what Simon did. Hey, this is pretty cool stuff. But they didn't get joy. I wonder, is this maybe a way to measure godliness? Well, what was the end result of Simon's work? Simon got attention (laughs) for a long time. And that's what he wanted. He sought glory for himself. And this is a measure of godlessness. To whom is the glory going? If the answer isn't to God, then the messenger isn't serving God. The message makes all the difference. You see, with Simon, the people didn't get anything of real value and nothing at all that lasted. So what about Philip's message? He gave them the message about Christ. And he used signs to support that message. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, pay attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. First, they listened to the message, the good news of a delivering Messiah they had long hoped for. And then came the signs. The signs verified the message. Remember, there's no medicine such as we know it, no hospitals, no neurosurgery, no drugs, no help for the sick. You see, Simon had wowed them with tricks. But what good is a trick when you can't walk? How long does that entertainment lift you up when you're paralyzed? Philip gave them something more. He was an agent for God. And these signs did good for people. It was not just to amaze them. It was a good that lasted. And the end result, there was much joy in that city. Philip sought glory for Jesus by introducing the people to him. And seeking glory for our Lord is the only path to joy. It's what we were made for. Because it reflects the nature of God. And it's true. The nature of God is such that when anything is given to him, a corresponding result is given back to a greater degree. Thus you plant one seed, and from the plant that results, you get back 30 or 60 or 100 fold. But what could we, mere creatures, give to a God who literally has everything? Well, we can give him glory. He alone deserves glory. And more than that, to not give him glory denies the nature of who he is. And since all nature, which includes us, was created by God and thus reflects his nature, to deny him glory actually denies nature as well. So our nature in specific 
when people deny glory to God, they don't get it. <laughs> They're denying their own nature as creatures of God's. But the people of Samaria get it. And they give God glory. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. The people quit following Simon and joined Philip in glorifying God. By being baptized, they were making a public proclamation of their acceptance of Jesus as Lord, declaring Jesus as Lord, one who deserves glory. And it seemed like Simon was doing the same thing. What was Simon's response to Philip's work? Seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Simon, who had amazed the people, was amazed by Philip and what he did. That's a legitimate response. But is that really the reaction we would expect? Amazed? How about grateful? Or joyful? Or how about he glorified God? Where's that? Simon realized something real was happening. He believed that much. And he went through the process of church integration, baptism. But to what did he pay attention? What amazed him? Signs and great miracles. Not, you notice, the message of God with us. So now it's time to step it up. Bring in Peter and John. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, we'll make a little side trip here. And it might help us to understand all that's going on a little better. First, what is the city of Samaria? It's probably ancient Shechem, you remember that Stefan mentioned it. At this time, it was the center of Samaritan religious worship. They thought, or at least said, they were true Jews. I mean, they circumcised their boys as Jews did. They even had temple worship like full-blooded Jews until the false temple they had erected was destroyed by the Jews about a hundred years earlier. But they were half-breeds. And I'm sorry, but nobody likes half-breeds. At least not then. Those of the privileged race don't like them because they are not like us. <laughs> Those of the underprivileged race don't like them because they act like they're better than us. <laughs> and of course, at that time, race and religion went hand in hand. So these poor Samaritans were outside of every other group. They were a special case. I think that's why there was a delay in giving the Holy Spirit. This is unique, by the way, in the New Testament. It's the only time there's a delay like that. I think it was a special extra sign for the Samaritans, a Samaritan Pentecost, as it were. So here's a rabbit trail for you to chase if you want. I'll just give you a little. That special gift the apostles had to lay their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. In all cases where visual verification of a filling with the Holy Spirit is observed in the New Testament, we don't know what it was here, but presumably he was speaking in languages they had never learned, the apostles are required. Paul is the last with the disciples of John the Baptist. Fun to look up if you ever want to do it. The point is, I think Philip and the church needed the apostles like we need the Bible. And we should consider that the Spirit didn't come because the apostles prayed. The apostles prayed because the Spirit was coming. Or is this maybe 
like us in one way at least, cooperative movement of some kind. Only if the Spirit calls us can we fill ourselves with him. But somehow he allows us to be a part of that filling anyway. To get back, what was Philip's response to Peter and John's work? He took a back seat. It was never about him or gaining glory for himself. Whatever was best for the spread of the good news was good enough for him. Ah, but what was Simon's response? Follow the power. It was always about him. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also. To this day, it's called simony, the attempt to purchase ecclesiastical privilege. And it isn't something done just in the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, we've all seen televangelists who have no qualifications for preaching the Word of God. They raise money and they put themselves on TV and they gain power over people claiming to have the ability to bestow the Spirit on them. Nevertheless, Simon did understand that the coming of the Holy Spirit was of critical importance. In fact, it was the central issue of power in the Christian life. But he saw it as a trick. In fact, he viewed the apostles as fellow magicians trying to wow the crowd for what? Apparently, he thought, money. He doesn't know what real faith is. He thought he was a Christian because he had never experienced real faith. (laughs) So he just figured this too was part of the act. And that leads us to Simon's nature. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Simon thought he was in. He did the baptism thing. He apprenticed under Philip's. Now that the big boys were in town, it was time for him to join them. He's an important guy, you know. And this thing they did, it's all part of the game. It's just a trick, like any other magician's trick. There's no spiritual reality to the Simons of this world. Simon was uh, the first recorded nominal Christian, Christian in name only. Someone who said they were Christian, used Christian words, did Christian things, but didn't worship Christ. There were lots of nominal Jews in history. In fact, most of them, it appears. Sure would have been wonderful if the church could have avoided this problem, this hypocrisy. But it will not escape unscathed. And to this day, people walk the walls of our buildings, the halls of our buildings. They circulate amongst us. Well, not us, the church. But like they one day will, Simon got the shock of his life. These guys were the genuine article. Simon didn't even know there was a genuine article. He thought it was just a matter of degree. These guys were just better than he was. But they weren't better. They were different. They were real. And did you catch what Peter said? If possible, the intent of Simon's heart could be forgiven. The criterion wasn't God's favor. The variable is Simon's repentance. Would he repent? 
If he repented, then it would be possible for him to be forgiven this wicked intent of his heart. And for a moment, it sounds like he's going to do it. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Pray for me. What? (laughs) That God would forgive him? That God would change his heart? No. Where's the repentance? He's only concerned with the consequences. He doesn't want to change, repent. He just doesn't want to suffer for doing what he's doing. Once again, he's focusing on himself instead of God. Asking for himself instead of for others. James wrote to some people like that, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's good that people accept they are sinners. It's better when they believe that Jesus can and will save them. But unless they commit to him as Lord, it's all pointless. Demons know they have sinned. They know Jesus is God, but they won't accept him as Lord. So they shudder when when they hear of him. They reject the nature of God. They will not give him glory because they want it for themselves, which is a perversion of their nature. And this is the state that Simon was in. So why pretend Christianity once he knew what it was? Because even though he did not want to pay the price of being a Christian, he did want the power of the Holy Spirit. He wanted the benefit without the reality. When people base their faith on actions, experience, feelings, and not the message of the Holy Spirit, the Bible, it's unlikely to be real faith. Faith must have an object. Is a person's faith in their experiences? Or is it in the God of the Bible? This is why Solomon wrote these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. A person starts with fear of God. That deep-seated respect of God and His great holiness and our complete inadequacy. And we continue by learning more and more of Him study of the scriptures and prayer, which is where Philip was. First, Philip is a carbon copy of Stephan. (laughs) It's a good thing. Well, in the area of his faith, everything was to him Christ. He knew that salvation isn't about what's in it for me. It's about aligning with God and leaving everything else up to him. Remember, Philip was full of the spirit and wisdom. He feared God. He learned about God to a very high degree. And his actions reflected that. When his good friend Stephan was killed and many of the very people he was selected to help were driven out of Jerusalem, what did he do? He went with them, preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember how this started? Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Scattered? That's the word used for sowing seed. Remember when Jesus told the parable of the sower sowing seed? He said the seed was the word of God. And Philip and the apostles keep on sowing. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. In Samaria, the seed fell on good soil. They paid attention to this good news. 
Let me go back to one point about Simon's magic. How long it lasted. It brought feelings of pleasure that lasted a few moments. But it didn't bring joy. Joy has an an element of eternality. Joy lasts forever because it's based on that which lasts forever. On the one who is eternal. The message, and even the signs and great miracles that Philip brought, will last for eternity. And the joy that followed his work will continue with it. To what do we pay attention? To whom do we pay attention? Whose actions amaze us? Do we say what we say to get people's attention? (laughs) Do we do what we do for our own benefit? What's the result of what we do? How long does what we do last? Philip proclaimed Christ. Simon proclaimed himself. Philip sought glory for Jesus. Simon, for himself. The message Philip brought will last forever. Simon's was forgotten long ago. To last, our message must be based on the good news of Jesus. And remember, it's not a matter of degree. We have to remember that we, who are the church, are not better than those outside the church. But we are actually different. Not because we are somebody special. In fact, it might even be accurate to say it's because we specifically aren't someone special. Simon the magician was, after all, someone special. But we can be made special when we fear God, when we gain knowledge of Him, when we do His work regardless of the consequences to ourselves. Like Philip. What are you hearing? To whom will you Pay attention. Father, it's quite a question. In comparing ourselves to the Phillips and the Stephens of the world, wow. Seems like a long ways for us, but it's not about degree. It's not about comparing. It's about who we are. Do we belong to you? It's all that really matters. You can take care of everything else. Help us, Lord, to remember that you didn't just make us, but you bought us out of sin also. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.